0: Tonight's scripture passage comes from 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 25. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soak, Sokak, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soak and Azekah in ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Ella, and drew up in the battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain and on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and it was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have, you not, "'Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants.'" But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Elab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shaman. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistines came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an epaph of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them now, Saul and all they and all and they and all the men of, who were in Israel, who were in the valley of Ella, fighting with the Philistines, and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper, and took the provisions, and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in in the charge of the keeper of the baggage, and ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines, and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they had saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, God. Well, if y'all
1: forgive me tonight, um because this is a very long chapter, I decided to have Evan read, or some, you know, Evan to read the chapter for the New Testament there. That would be the longer part of the reading. And to watch my time, I'm going to read to you verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, God. you know, when uh, I think probably Ben should know this, Evan might know this, but probably the one of my most favorite passages in John thirteen. The enemy in John thirteen was already in the room. It's already there. John 13, Jesus is not many hours from the cross. The Lord's Supper's been served. All authority's been handed over to Him. It's all in His hands. And nobody's washed anybody's feet. (laughs) Because all they're thinking about is who's the greatest. Nobody's washed anybody's feet. And so Jesus, who has all things in His hands, all authority in His hands, He does something that's unthinkable. He gets up and He begins to wash the disciples' feet. He does this knowing that Peter will deny him. he does this knowing that ten will scatter from him. He does this knowing the enemy is already there who will betray him. Satan had already put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. So the betrayers in the room, in these times, these moments, precious moments, tender moments, the last moments he will have with his disciples before he goes to the cross. He's in the room with the enemy. Jesus knows that in just so many hours, salvation has to be accomplished in an extraordinary conflict. The seed of the woman must crush the serpent's head on the cross. That's not long away. And the enemy is right there. Throughout redemptive history, we see those who oppose God in great conflicts with those who love God. As we come to 1 Samuel 17, It's one of the greatest chapters ever inspired, and it sets before us this conflict that would find its conclusion in the greater sign of David against Satan on the cross, where sin and Satan and death and hell are crushed. And so as we begin this chapter and look at it, as we look at the conflict between David and Goliath, I want you to see there's four points, and the first point is this. The enemies of God's people just keep coming. They just keep coming. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, He beats back the devil. All those verses. He wins the battle, if you will. The angels begin to minister to Him. And it's like He beat Him back. But He will come back at an opportune time. And the same thing is happening in this passage. In verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Saco, which belongs to Judah. We've, we've heard this before. The enemies of God's covenant people, they keep gathering keep coming back. Chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 5. Chapter 14. The Philistines keep on gathering and coming back. In chapter 14, we, we see that... Uh, Jonathan the armor bearer, remember they sneak off from Saul who's over there fretting. <laughs> and he goes and he does something great. for God. Perhaps God will give us a victory and he slays 20 men. And there's a great victory that's given to Israel that day. But after that day of victory, a little time has gone by. And guess who's back? The Philistines are back. William Blakey puts it like this. He says, These irrepressible Philistines were never long in recovering from their disasters. We're back. We're back. In fact, they're encroaching on Israelite territory. It says they are at Saco in Judah. So their conflict is painted in front of us. There's a conflict on one hill. There's Israel on another hill. There's the Philistines. And in between, there's the wonderful, famous valley of Elah, where the battle between Goliath and David took place. In your Christian life, your enemies keep coming back. I like the title of the book All's Quiet on the Western Front. You know, I like that title. I I think all of us like it. All's quiet on the Western Front. We beat Satan, we won a victory, we overcame a temptation and we don't want it to come back. I don't want it to come back. But they keep coming back. Your enemies keep coming back. In fact, We could say the enemy's in the room. It's right here, having to deal with my own flesh that remains. The world keeps coming back. The devil keeps coming back. They keep keep assembling and stirring things up. You might be making strides in your personal diligence and holiness. You are diligent to be in church. You are diligent in your new Bible reading habits and working in your prayers. You're diligent to read the Bible at home to your children and pray with them. Then your old habits creep back. Stay in bed a little bit longer. Don't get up today. You know, you've been reading the Bible every night to your family and praying with them, but maybe you just go ahead and watch TV like you used to. Your friends, they want you to come back. They want you to get back in that old groove of thinking. Here we are. Here we are. There's one thing for sure our enemies keep gathering. Until Jesus comes, they're going to keep gathering. If you move from California to Texas, (laughs) the enemy's still there. Besetting sins, things that plague us and fears, threatening circumstances and difficult circumstances. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. Maybe we should say in this world we will have enemies that will disturb our peace until we cross the river. Well, the first point is the enemies of God's people keep uh, coming back. Second, the enemies of God's people keep intimidating. Now, did you hear as Evan read that chapter? There's Goliath, and we're supposed to... I think the author wants us to tremble as we see him. This man is nine feet six inches tall. He is intimidating. Intimidating. He is physically intimidating. He has armor that most of us would not be able to pick up. His armor weighs 126 pounds. His bronze helmet covers everything on his face except his temple. We need to remember that. He, he has a coat of armor. He has a pair of bronze, bronze shin guards to protect his shins. He has an armor bear that stands out in front of him with a large rectangular shield for maximum protection. He has a bronze javelin, and he has a spear with a point on it that's fifteen or sixteen pounds heavy. That that heavy, and it says it's it's the shaft is a weaver's beam, and everything that I've read says a weaver's beam is like a t- like a stop sign post. Now, have you ever picked up a stop sign post? I have picked one up because I worked at the highway department when I was a schoolboy. They're really, I, I don't think I could ever do that. You know, these are huge things. This person is intimidating physically, his weapons are intimidating, his armor is intimidating. We're supposed to be intimidated as we read this section. Not only that, he's verbally intimidating. He's standing out in front of all of Israel's army, in front of Saul and everybody, and he's defying everybody, mocking and reproaching and deriding, bellowing out loud these words, Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. And he goes on and he says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And he did it for 40 days and he did it in the morning and he did it in the evening. (laughs) Over and over and over. And back in those days, sometimes they they would do a battle between two great champions and then it would be over. And so in verse 11, we see King Saul and Israel's response to all this intimidation. One commentator put it like this. They were impressed and depressed. That's a great way to put it. Impressed, wow, and depressed. The Bible says the words in my text said that they were they were full of dismay and they were fearful. Why? Why are they dismayed? Well, because Saul sees as only a man can see. He only can see as a man can see. He's not seeing things from God's perspective. What has happened to Saul? (laughs) Think about Saul. What has happened to this man? This man is head and shoulders above the rest. This man has been chosen by God and by the people to go out and fight their battles for him. In fact, he has fought battles for Israel. And he has had great successes. The Spirit of God came upon him and he fought against Nahash. Remember that eye-gouging Ammonite that would trade right eyes for peace? Remember that guy? He had a great victory. And they went out and they celebrated and had this great time of recovering. and, And he had Samuel there with him. What happened to him? Saul has sinned and grieved the Holy Spirit away. And the Holy Spirit has departed from him. And he's intimidated. And if you and I, if we rely on our money, somebody has more. And if you and I, if we rely on our physical attributes, somebody's bigger and taller. If we rely on our brain, somebody's smarter. What should Saul do when he's up against this guy? Remember, Saul is head and shoulders above all the people of Israel. This guy's head and shoulders above Saul. What should he do? Do y'all know the answer to that? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, that's what the kids should say. It's time for Saul to call on the difference maker. It's time for Saul to call on the Holy Spirit and to take who can take a weak man and make him powerful to stand up against a Goliath. But he's a failure because he only sees as a natural man can see. It's important for you. It's important for me to see things as God sees things. Remember in the past few weeks we've talked about the fact that we see past the outward appearance into the heart of the matter. Well, now we need to see past the external appearance and see the person as God sees them. And David sees this man as an uncircumcised Philistine who's defying God himself and he needs we need to be able to see as david's going to see that he even a little schoolboy with a stone in his hand in his sling can put this man to death that's how god sees well as we think about this text we need to ask ourselves this question is it i lord you see your enemies keep coming to you and maybe your enemies so far as presenting another good life in front of you are you intimidated And are you depressed? And are you going to quit before the battle ever starts? Saul's not going to go to battle. He's already quit. Israel's over here. They're dismayed. They're not even going to go out to battle. Have you already decided not to fight the battle? You know, when I was in the 10th grade, my dad came home. And I had my driver's license. My dad came home with a Chevy 2 plus 2 and a Vega. And he said, here's some keys, go out and try it out. I remember going out there and I put the key in. I've told my kids this story. Put the key in, I turned the key, it wouldn't start. Turned it, no start. Turned it, wouldn't start. Turned it, wouldn't start. (laughs) Sat there and waited, pumped the gas. Turned it, wouldn't start. Walked in, said, I'm not driving this car. This car doesn't work. Dad said, did you push the clutch down? And I said, what's a clutch? And my dad, with with his very impatient 16-year-old son, took me back outside and he showed me how to drive a a car with a clutch. But if he hadn't, I would have quit before I started. You and I, we need to think about the fact we need to look to the Holy Spirit and the difference maker when it comes to issues in our church when it comes to issues in our marriage, rocks in our marriage, and problems we have with our own personal sins when we feel overwhelmed by them? Have we already quit before we even start? I'm going to say it like this. Yes, the problem you have at church is beyond you. The problem you have with your marriage is beyond you. The problem you have with whatever sin that's bothering you, bugging you, and overmastering you, it's beyond you, but it's not beyond the Holy Spirit who energizes you against it. So you've got to get out on your knees, and you have to ask God for power and strength, and get up with that new God-given strength, and walk and walk with Him through it. You know, Johnny Erickson Tata dove into Chesapeake Bay uh, years and years ago, she misjudged the depth of the water, and she uh, broke her neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. And during her rehab, it's worth, I'll tell you what, the movie's worth watching, folks. But during her rehab, she was full of depression. She was suicidal. She wanted to quit. She struggled. She asked this question, what's the use? Well, she had a friend that kept, kept bringing Christ back into her picture. And she looked to the Holy Spirit, and she began to be a person who, though weak according to the world, and impotent according to the world, and pathetic according to human standards, she paints pictures with her teeth. She wrote 40 books. She's a singer, a radio show host. She tapped into the Holy Spirit, and this little David has been a great influence for Christ on the whole world. Do not behave like Saul. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit away. Remember the Holy Spirit. Trust in the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask God for the Holy Spirit to help you to see things from His, God's perspective and not from man's perspective. Well, third, the enemies of God's people and God's casual providence. Did you notice when you get to verse 12 that everything sort of changed? We have from verses 1 through 11, you have these to Israel and you got the Philistines gathering and you got this scary big bully out there screaming bloody murder against God's people and it's just supposed to be frightening. And then you get to verse 12 and listen to what it reads. Now David was a son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah whose name was Jesse and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advancing years among men. I I don't know if y'all like watching the Bourne movies, but I watch the commentary on the Bourne movies. And this is one of the things I share on the commentary. When we're making the movies, I mean, you know, guys, look, there's, there's sections of it where there's like 15 minutes of nothing but heart rate. I mean, it's just nothing but heart rate. There's one guy in one of the movies that I think he's in the movie for 17 minutes. He never says a word, and it's all him, and it's all action. And by the time it's all over, you need a break. You just need a break so during the break time, they slow everything down and, you know, you get your wounds. So they, you know how the guys sew their wounds back up and they get ready for the next 20 minutes and nothing but running and screaming and all the rest. But during that time, they fill in the blanks and they calm you down. And that's what's going on here. Everything gets really casual as David is brought into this picture, talking about his dad, talking about his brothers and... By the time we get to the end of the chapter, we have David going and taking care of his brothers with cheeses. All the way to the point that David is in front of Goliath with a smooth stone and a sling. Now, any time a father has a son or sons on the front lines of battle, he's concerned for them. And in these days, remember as as Paul was in a prison, remember people had to go and, and bring food to him because there was not a state. You know, the state's not taking care of the TV for him and bringing the meals to him. The same thing's going on on the battlefield. And so this father, Jesse, he would send David from the sheep field all the way into the battle. And he would say, take all the vittles and take all this food and all these provisions and give them to the boys, my boys, my three boys, who were there with Saul. And find out a little information and bring it back to me. So this is going on back and forth. This is what's happening as we read through these verses. And on these occasions, David is going there, and he's all loaded up. And on one of the the occasions, as as he's there, they line up for battle. And we read in verse 23, As David was speaking with the brothers, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistines and shouted his usual words, which David also heard. That's the important line. David heard this. And things are very casual, very natural. David is there, no pomp, no circumstance. There's little David appearing very close to the big person that needs to be knocked down. Just like 2,000 years ago, a little person was born. A little person was born with no pomp and circumstance, so natural and so quietly. Philip Brooks writes in his Christmas hymn, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift was given. Who would have ever thought that day that that shepherd who left his ch- all his sh- few sheep as alive, would say, in the charge of someone else, would find himself face to face with a giant and smooth stones? Who would have ever thought Did David have any idea that morning when he handed over his shepherding duties that he would be in this great conflict? Think about it. Did he pray differently? If he had a Bible, would he have read it differently? Would he have meditated more? Would he have said to himself, there's a great thing a-coming? No, he wouldn't have known it. He just did his normal routine. You and I may never know what a day may bring forth. You get up in the morning and you do your normal routine. Coffee and prayer. (laughs) Bible reading and prayer and coffee. And you do your normal thing. You do just what you always do and you don't know that you could be involved in some great danger or have such a great opportunity The world will come to you and say, I know that you had your prayer this morning, and I know that you cried out to the difference maker this morning, but I'm going to test you, and I'm going to see what you do up against a real sensual temptation. I'm going to see what you do when you're faced with cheating on your taxes or on your test. I'm going to see what you will do when you're faced with a real medical crisis or when those who you thought were your friends, turn against you. What a great danger these things all are. But what great opportunities we have to pray more fervently and to walk with God more closely. We just don't know what's going to happen. And so we need to be ready every morning. Don't take for granted this morning when you get up and you do your coffee, you don't know what a day will bring forth. And so to be ready, we start out on our knees. And to be ready, we start out trusting in the difference maker to be with us and to energize us. And there's one commentator put it like this. And this is worth remembering the rest of your life. Prepare me for all that you have prepared for me. There you go. God knows his decrees. You don't. Lord, I know you know what you've prepared for me, so prepare me for what you've prepared for me. What a great prayer. Prepare me, Lord, for all that you have prepared for me. Well, finally, our final point is the enemies of God's people and God's warrior. So we left David in verse 23. Goliath's out there bellowing and defying Israel, and David is hearing it. And I want you to take notice of the enemy of God's people and this warrior I want you to notice David's faith. One commentator says this is what David was hearing. Am I, Goliath, not a pagan, God hating Philistine? Then why won't any of your men of the living God fight me? You must not really believe in him at all. In fact, you must believe that a nine foot warrior is actually stronger than your living God when it comes to a real battle. In other words, where is your God? <laughs> Where is your God? Well, let me tell you where where their God is. He's right there in verse 26. David asked the men who were standing with him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, now David was interested in what would would be the uh, reward, the award for going out to battle against Goliath. And he found out he would be made a prince. But notice David's first words are very theological. They're the first words in this whole chapter that focus our eyes on God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? God is right there. God is in this little boy who puts things in theological terms. He's a man of faith. He's not seeing things as man sees things. He's seeing things as God sees them. This enemy to David is an uncircumcised, unclean Philistine, not in covenant with God, not not loving God. And he knows this man needs to be defeated by God's power on the battlefield. Do we think... Of God's enemies like that. Israel sees the giant and they see somebody's invincible. And David sees this as God sees this enemy as someone who needs to be knocked down. I want you to see his faith. Second, I want you to see the obstacles he faces. Immediately after he declares that this is an uncircumcised Philistine, he faces three obstacles. The first one is very easy to figure out. He faces Goliath's all this physical intimidation and all this verbal intimidation. The second is this. He faces ridicule. Eliab, you remember what Eliab says? Everybody loves this Eliab part, right? You know, David is, is, is going, I, I'm, somebody needs to go out and knock this guy down. And Eliab goes, listen, you know, w- what about those few sheep you left out there? What are you doing out here? What are you doing out here? I know who you are. I know you're conceited, and I know that your heart is wicked. And David says, now what have I done? Now that tells you what kind of relationship they might have had before they went to battle. Might have had some of those issues going on at home. But you know, he's not dampened by this intimidation of Goliath. He's not dampened by his brothers lacking, you know, in encouragement towards him. I mean, it's always wonderful to have family encourage us. And, you know, I just say this. I think every now and then I need to say this to myself. I said this to somebody uh, who was here this morning and not here tonight. I did, but I need to say this to myself. Will anything keep you from doing the right thing? Will anything keep you from glorifying God? Is there something that will keep you from doing what God wants you to do? You should say no. Don't let anything keep you, even if big brother's approval would be really great to have. Yeah, it'd be great to have. But you need to do what God wants you to do. Third, belittling. Saul belittles him. After Saul hears about this, of course, David comes into his presence. And David says to Saul, he says this, Do not let anyone lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul says, You? (laughs) You're too small. This guy has been fighting since he was a youth. He's ten feet tall. He knows how to do everything warlike. And you, not you, you're too little. Forget it. But his faith remains undiminished. Well, then David shares his experience. David has a secret weapon. And this is fascinating to me. Do you know there's something we're going to hear right now that nobody knows except David and God? David's going to tell us. What is it that David knows and God alone know together? Well, David tells King Saul, he says, I've not been trained on the battlefield. I've not been trained with a sword, but I have been trained. I faced two enemies. One is a lion, one is a bear. And when I was out in the field, when a lion or a bear took one of my lambs, I went out to the bear, went out to the lion, took the, took the lamb out of the mouth. And when they turned on me to strike and kill me, I bearded them and killed them. That animal is dead, and I had this experience. I don't trust in human strength, but I trust in the power of God to give me the, the power to make the difference. So I've been delivered from the power of the lion. I've been delivered from the paw of the bear. God will deliver me from the power of this Philistine who mocks the armies of the living God. You and I, we need to think theocentrically. We need to see not as men see, but we need to see things as God sees them. David's getting it right. When the enemies are before him, he's thinking God's thoughts. He knows how to win. And we have hearts at times that want to just fall to pieces when we're in the presence of great difficulties. People who are intimidating and people who ridicule and People who belittle, we want to just go to pieces. We sometimes I think about it. If 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 God was to open your head up like a cookie jar and look down inside, what would He find? (laughs) Would He find faith, or would He find you saying, "What's the use?" Would you be listening to that intimidating voice, those ridiculing words, and those words that belittle? Would you stop? Seeking to attempt something great for God. But this is where we must remind ourselves. This is like David. We need to go back into our mind, our memory, and we need to remind ourselves. I was up against intimidating things in the past. I was up against a lion and a tiger and a bear in the past. And God delivered me. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you cried out for salvation in that dorm room, God delivered you. When you had that difficult situation at home or when you were trying to buy a house and you thought it would never work out, God delivered you. Your friends told you to throw your towel in and quit, and you threw your towel in with God, and God delivered you. Remember, God delivers you, and He keeps on delivering you. Our eyes are easily focusing in on David's faith, but never forget it was God who delivered David and not David, who delivered himself. And as David was delivered, in all that deliverance, all of God's people were delivered as well. As we close, great conflict is just a type. This great conflict is a type of the great conflict to come. To a head when David's greater son came to Bethlehem, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he would come casually into the world, born in a manger, come to be the shepherd of his people. And as this shepherd strides out in chapter seventeen to knock down a great Goliath, our Lord Jesus Christ two thousand years ago, went to a cross, and he crushed the serpent on the head. He crushed sin and Satan and death on the head, so that no one, so that no longer sin or death and hell can sting us, for all of those of us who believe. In Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for bringing us out for time to hear your word read and preached. We thank you for the Lord Jesus as we think about David crushing this man on the head, seeing his faith and seeing how he overcame all these obstacles. We pray you would help us to do the same. We praise you for a Savior who did it perfectly for us and in whose name we can go out and fight every day. Strengthen us as we face our enemies. Lord, help us remember that we need you to get down on our knees and cry out for your Holy Spirit to make the difference in our lives. Help us to depend on the Lord Jesus at every moment. Help us to talk about him and help us to encourage one another and have have, have our minds full of our memories where in the past you have helped us so many times. Help us to make more good memories, Uh, Lord, as we go through the days ahead. We'll praise you for it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.